You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. I have a credit card that I use on rare occasions, maybe for Christmas shopping or for a family vacation or for something I want or need. Now imagine if I just threw caution to the wind and recklessly charged, let's say $5,000 worth of purchases on my credit card. A A month later, the statement would arrive in my mailbox describing my charges and explaining my payment options. Now, rather than pay the debt, let's imagine that I call customer service and I explain that I didn't mean to make these charges and I'm really, really sorry for making them and that I'll try to do better in the future. Will that pay my credit card debt? (laughs) Of course not, wouldn't that be awesome? All right, let's try another angle. What if I call customer service and I beg and plead for them to forgive my credit card debt? That should take care of it, right? I don't think so. Wow, these Visa people sure are narrow-minded and legalistic, aren't they? (laughs) Surely they should be more merciful and forgiving. Surely they aren't being fair. Friend, my thinking is obviously flawed. It's not that the Visa or Discover card people aren't merciful or patient or kind. It's that they are just and right to expect fair payment for my charges. Yeah, I've spoken with many people who say to me, Well, I ask God to forgive my sin every night before I go to bed. Others have said, I confess my sin regularly to a priest or even to God. Still others have said, I pay for my sin by doing good. Friend, the fact is God does not just arbitrarily forgive sin or erase sin's consequences any more than Visa or Discover would arbitrarily erase my debt just because I asked. No. Visa has determined a method of payment. And apart from that precise method of payment, nothing else will erase my debt on that card. This is not unfair or unjust. Quite the contrary, it's reasonable. It's just and right. I can't send them an apology note, a Thanksgiving food basket, or even a Walmart gift card. I must send them one form of payment money. This is the established standard and practice of the credit card companies. I don't argue it, I accept it, and I deal with their set standard. Now, in much the same way, God has established a payment for sin. Yes, sin must be paid for. Why? Because God is just and good. A good God would never allow something as horrible and deadly as sin to run rampant in time and eternity forever. No, a good God would deal with sin and death once and for all so we could ultimately be freed from it for eternity. You see, God's goodness requires that he takes action against something so destructive as sin. So long before you and I were ever born and long before the world was created, God determined there was a penalty for evil a payment for sin. It's not negotiable, it is just, it is fair, and yes, it is even good 
in light of the terrible, destructive power that comes with sin. So what's the penalty? Well, God says in Romans 6, the wages, the payment of sin is death. Death. Seems like a high payment, right? Sounds pretty bad. Well, let's take a second look. Why would a good God let sin live? That would be infinitely worse than our United States justice system allowing a murderer to run free or to just pour out mayhem. If our justice system accepted such atrocities, it would no longer be a good system. Even so, if God were to allow sin or evil to continue forever, he wouldn't be a good God. No. His goodness requires that he take action. His justice requires payment. And long before you and I came along, God determined that there was only one payment, one end solution, one final destination for sin. There was only one acceptable resolution for something so deadly and destructive as sin. Sin must die. Death must die. These things are so evil, so destructive, they must face the only just end, the only acceptable outcome. They must be locked away in a final, ultimate prison. Sin is so bad that God has determined once and for all, sin will die. Now, do you recognize God's goodness and love displayed through this death sentence? He refuses to allow that which is harmful to continue to plague us forever. He loves us too much. His goodness is too good. He cannot allow sin to go on destroying the world. Imagine that there was a murderer living on your street or your block, and this murderer just kills at will and has no preferences with his victims. He kills men and women and children with no warning and no remorse. Imagine that you know who he is, and you've called the police only to find out they already know who he is. They're fully aware of who the killer is. Now imagine they've decided to let him continue killing. No penalty, no prosecution, no arrest, no trial, no justice. Imagine that the police investigators tell you, well, you know, we've just decided to be good on this one. A loving police department would never send anyone to prison. You would be outraged. You would do whatever it took to make sure this murderer received justice to restore peace and safety in your community. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I just don't believe that a loving God would create hell, or I just don't believe, I refuse to believe that a loving God would ever judge sin. sin. Friend, how could a loving God not do something about all the terrible things that exist in life and on this planet? How could a loving God allow sin to go free and run rampant? How could he not take action? He can't and he won't. The Bible teaches very clearly that when time comes to an end, God will bring a final judgment on sin and death. He will demand final payment and he only accepts one form of payment for sin and that's death. In fact, God has created a final prison for sin and death, a final resting place. It's called in Revelation 20, the lake of fire. And Revelation 20 speaks of this final judgment when it says, and death and hell were... All right, we're going to pause right there for a sec. Um, and just kind of hit a couple of these, uh, kind, of, kind of get into these principles a little bit, because it's really important. God's only method of payment. That's, 
really important discussion because uh, I love the way you started this out. Number one, understanding the fact, and this is the first blank if you didn't get it, we all have what? We all have a, a debt. We all have a debt. The Bible calls it a sin debt. And that's connected with Romans 6.23, um, where the Bible says, For the wages of sin is death. Wages and death are the blanks in that verse. I know I've got another one back there. Uh, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For the wages of sin is death. So basically what we earn, you, a wage is something you earn. And so what you earn from your sin is death. There's a wage to sin. The wages of sin is death. So I, I love the idea and, and the illustration that he used there. Uh, you know, you go into debt. He was using credit card debt as an example and you don't get to set the parameters, right? When you, once you borrow money, you don't get to set the parameters. You don't get to change the parameters. The company that you're dealing with is the authority that gets to say, hey, this is how much you owe, and this is when you have to pay it by. Like, and, and again, I, I think that's a great example because who is the one that gets to decide when you have to pay and what you have to pay? Well, the, the company is. They, they're the ones in the authority. You're, you're the ones that are, you're the person that's in debt to them. And again, I just wrote down here, kind of summing up a couple things he said. Number one, I think, uh, we could say, I think they should have different expectations. And you know, it's kind of like the thing today, like uh, the, the student loan forgiveness. So there, there's actually a lot of funny current things that are kind of parallel with this, you know. And wherever you stand on that, it's the idea, if you borrow money, you are responsible to pay it back. I mean, um, and by the way, of course, in that scenario, somebody's going to pay for that debt, right? Uh, somebody's going to pay for that debt. But again, we may say, well, we don't think it's fair that we should have to pay. We don't think it's fair to have to pay off this debt. Well, okay, you can think what you want to. Well, we think you're being a big jerk for making us pay our debt. Well, it's your debt. I mean, we're just, we're, we're, ju we're, we're within our rights or within our justice to demand that you pay for what you owe. So, uh, and God doesn't arbitrarily forgive sin. I think that's a great, great point. Because remember, one of the things that we're doing in this series, it's not just trying to teach and go over some of the next steps in terms of basics, but it's also trying to reorient ourselves as we deal with our unsafe friends and loved ones uh, a lot of this is trying to get some of this in our minds to be able to articulate to them the place where they are and try to communicate with them their need for salvation, their need for forgiveness of sin. And so I, I like that. God doesn't arbitrarily forgive sin, which again, going back to the credit card scenario, well, hey, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm not going to borrow any more money. So you don't have to worry about me anymore. So, so don't bu bug me about me paying you. I'm not going to borrow anymore doesn't work because you've already borrowed some and you got to pay for that and if you don't borrow any, anything else that's great but you still got to answer for what you borrowed already i've got to struggle not to say borrowed because uh, that's one of my words as a southerner uh, but anyway uh, but but borrowed you've already borrowed this therefore you got to pay it. so uh god doesn't arbitrarily forgive sin it's the same idea that he was saying there how many people have you heard say stuff like that? oh i ask god to forgive me all the time but on what basis on what basis are, we, are you asking God to forgive you? Well, I asked him, okay, you can ask the credit card company to forgive you. They don't do it. What's the basis that you're trying to get forgiven? You can't be forgiven until the debt's taken care of. 
And so therefore, uh, the blank that I had here, if you didn't get it, is there is a precise, there is a precise method of payment required. They have an exact number. And, and the same thing with God. We have a debt. There's a precise uh, method of payment required. So then the second thing is, and you probably already got it, but not only do we have a debt, but number two, there is a penalty. There is a penalty, number two. There's a penalty. That's death. And, and, and he's the one who said this. So again, I'm going to try not to get too distracted on this. But, uh, but I got the question there without a question mark, I noticed there. But what, what if our justice system allowed murderers and criminals to run free? Can you imagine? I think we can kind of imagine because that's uh, kind of going on today. But what if our justice system allowed murderers and criminals to run free? But what if, like, literally it was to the extent to where it was just the norm? It wasn't just the, you know, the, the, Los the, the L.A. County D.A. or the New York D.A., that it was just standard practice in our country to where criminals were not held accountable for their crimes. They were just allowed to ro roam free. He gave the example of uh, murderers or people that are, you know, committing crimes that are affecting you be going unpunished, calling the police, and the police saying, ah, hey, look, we're a loving police department. We care about our community. We care way too much about people to go, you want me to do what? You want me to go arrest this person? Put them in back of a police car? Put them, can you imagine how humiliating that would be for that person? No, no, we're too loving of a police department to ever do something like that. Of course, that's asinine. That's just totally ridiculous, right? Uh, and so God's goodness requires that He take action, just like if we've got a good justice system, they're going to take action, right? And it's the same exact principle kind of being applied there. God's justice uh, and His goodness requires that He takes action against sin. Uh, so God, God's justice requires payment. There's only one acceptable payment. Uh, the one acceptable outcome for sin and death and that is that sin must die. And then the question there, do you recognize God's goodness and love through this death sentence? That's kind of a statement you got to, or a question you got to get your mind around, right? Can you see God's goodness and love in a death sentence? The death sentence of sin. If not, uh, study a little deeper and contemplate a little more. But we, we should be able to recognize God's goodness and love through the death sentence of sin and that which is destroying mankind. He refuses to allow that which is harmful to plague us forever. Praise the Lord. God's got a solution for sin. That's a wonderful thing, folks. Um, and so rather than saying, how can a loving God judge sin? The, the question really should be, how can a loving God not judge sin? It makes no sense. A loving God will judge sin. It kind of goes back to Wednesday. We're talking about how the righteous are looking forward to the, to, the, uh, to the vengeance of the Lord upon those who have persecuted and harmed and, and murdered and killed and all of that. Man, you can see the grace and mercy and the love of God in that. Uh, so, uh, all right, so now that, uh, that gets us caught up. And then he just, uh, what, the point now, so we have a debt, there's a penalty, now, number three, the final destination for sin. And uh, I believe he was already on the verse there of Revelation 20, verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So we'll uh, complete the video on this leg here.
to prison. You would be outraged. You would do whatever it took to make sure this murderer received justice to restore peace and safety. Now, here's where it gets hard to accept. And let me remind you again, we're not, not looking for man's opinions here. We're looking to understand, seeking to understand what God has stated as truth. We're trying to understand his terms, okay? The Bible's clear, God is clear in Matthew 25, that God didn't originally create hell for men. It was intended for the devil and his angels. It's, Matthew wrote it this way, Then shall he say unto all of them that on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. God's original intent, after passing final judgment on sin and Satan, was to bring men into eternal loving relationship with him. His plan is, is born entirely out of a loving heart and a good nature. He is perfect perfectly loving, perfectly good, but also perfectly just. Now, because God's justice system demands payment for sin, death, and because I was born defective with sin flowing through my spiritual DNA and bloodline, I now have a very serious predicament. As a sinner, I have sin. I have a debt that must be paid. And there's a minimum wage for my sin. A law in God's justice system demands payment. Sin now stands between me and God. And while God loves me, he hates sin. If he didn't hate sin, he couldn't love me. It's like saying if your loved one has cancer, you can't love your relative and love the cancer at the same time. If you love your relative, you're going to hate the cancer. And you're going to desire for that cancer to be removed, if at all possible. If you love the cancer you would suddenly become an enemy to your relative. And this is exactly what God means when he says, the carnal mind is enmity against God, Romans 8. Whether or not you feel warm and fuzzy about God, though he loves you very much, your sin makes you his enemy. Me too. Ouch. I know that hurts. Maybe that's a tough pill to swallow. Maybe you want to click stop. But it's exactly the message of the Bible. No wonder I can't earn my way or do good things to gain God's approval because sin, this gigantic wall or canyon, stands in the way. It's dividing me from all that God intended. In short, my sin condemns me in the sight of God. Now, don't get me wrong. This doesn't mean that God doesn't love me. We'll get into that in a moment. It simply means that Something miraculous must happen. And if it doesn't, then God doesn't have a way to save me. If he doesn't find a way to intervene, I'm doomed. Though God loves me, he cannot allow sin into heaven. He cannot allow sin to live. And since I have sin in me, I'm marked for death. He doesn't want me to spend one second apart from him in hell. This was never his intention. But that's really what will happen if a miracle doesn't occur. My sin must be paid for. It's a part of me. That's God's law. My sin must die. That's God's goodness. It's like a cancer that, that needs to be cured. What's the cure? Well, we know it isn't being good. No matter how good or religious I am, I still have sin in me, stuck in me. 
Remember, it's not a behavior problem. It's a being problem. It's systemic. It's conditional. Being good doesn't pay for my sin. Only one thing pays for sin or resolves sin, and that's death. Death is the only viable option for something so horrible. So when I stand before God with sin recorded against me as a sinner, there's only one final destination for me. According to his words, the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death that's revelation 21 yeah this is a lake of fire according to the bible it's a real place it's a terrible place and actually men can end up there because of their sin now it is not God's desire that I or you would be there. It's not what he wants for you, but it is the final resting place of sin. And apart from a miracle, everyone who ever sinned will be headed there because God is too good to let sin live. Twice in these verses, God refers to a second death. In other words, we all die once, but then we stand before God where it is determined whether we live forever with God or whether we die a second time in separation from him. The second death is that eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. It's final. It's unchangeable. It is not where God wants you or me for eternity, but it is the only just payment and destination for sin. God calls it being condemned in Romans 5. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Friend, because our sin condemns us before God, we're all guilty. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, Romans 2 says. We're literally without excuse. Our sin debt must be paid. No ifs, ands, or buts. Sin must die because God is good, he's just, he's loving, he must put to death every bad thing. Yet because he loves me, he doesn't want me or you to face this curse, this condemnation. Since I'm born into sin, I'm condemned. I'm a condemned man. No matter how good I've been, I know that sounds pretty terrible. It's a terrible predicament, and we're all in it. Yes, there's this minimum wage law. There's a second death. Yes, there's a, a an end game to death and sin. And unless God miraculously intervenes, you and I will face that second death. We cannot jump to the moon. We cannot keep God's perfect standard. It's impossible. We have a charge. We have a debt that we cannot pay. And there's only one acceptable form of payment. But there is a very important three-letter word that makes all the difference. It's the word but. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but a miracle did happen. All right, uh, so any follow-up questions? Uh, well, let me, let me first get to, I'll get you these blanks here. 
Uh, all right, so I think a pretty good explanation for sin, and, and I hope that, you know, whether you get a reminder of why hell, why the lake of fire, why judgment, whether that's a reminder, whether you're learning it for the first time, I hope that it's something that will that you can maybe process and justify a little bit better. Um, let's see. Yeah, I don't think about any more. Oh, I just put one more blank in there that I guess I'll cover in just a second. Um, any thoughts so far on the idea of mankind having a debt, there being a penalty to death, or the final destination for sin and death? Have you, had, have you ever had the question asked to you how a loving God could send someone to hell, for instance. How do you respond to that? And by the way, how do you respond to that? Does anybody got a good answer to that? Okay, he doesn't. Uh, Blake? Yeah, and, and I think and, and there, Blake said that the sinner chooses basically hell because they choose not to believe on Christ, right? And that's what Ralph, I think, is saying, too. God doesn't. Uh, we, we read the verse, and it's an important verse to know that hell was created for the devil and his angels, that it is, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And, you know, it, it's hard for me to say that sometimes. Sometimes I kind of try to keep moving on and just teach the truth rather than talk about error. But that's, that's why I like hyper-Calvinism. It's just a, such a popular and growing thing, but there's just some, it's so flawed. But regardless, God, it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that's right. So a good, good answer to that is he doesn't. You know, and that's a brief answer, Doria. Amen. And I believe that also. God, God does everything possible to, and I know that it's like, you know, that can get into a whole nother discussion, but I, I can t always tell you this, God is just. Not, God's not willing that any should perish. God is just. And we get into conversations about fairness a lot of times, uh, but it's really not about fairness. It's about God being just. Because um, you could argue, well, man, it don't seem fair that I would be born in a home to where I could hear the gospel from an early age and uh, be learning my first words being something about Jesus, uh, and then somebody else doesn't have that same opportunity, Blake. Oh, that's a great, that's a great question as well. Great, great question, because Doria said, you know, I believe God puts, but she was saying all people in an optimal uh, thing, and there again, with the example I just gave, you could say, well... Uh, doesn't seem exactly equal. Well, it may not be equal, but there's still the opportunity. There's equal, there's, there's an opportunity there for mankind. So then Blake's question, well, if God orchestrated circumstances where we could hear the gospel, what's the divide between that and Calvinism? And that is the question because, and it's one of the tricks of hyper-Calvinism, is they love to try to teach what seems to be the positive aspects of Calvinism. 
you know, I'll listen to different ones, including uh, John MacArthur or something, and I just hear him describing hyper-Calvinism, and I'm like, man, you sure are describing all the, the, the positive sides of it, but you're not describing the other side of that coin, that God chose all these, you know, the majority of the world to go to hell, that Jesus only died for a certain amount of people. That's not true, but that's what hyper-Calvinism believes. But so, yeah, just, God, there's, we, we believe in God's providence, we believe in God's uh, sovereignty. We believe that God works in the affairs of man to give people the opportunity to be saved. But the dividing line is that God does not, one, force anybody to be saved or make that decision for them. Well, I should just say, one, God doesn't make the decision for people because that decision could be either be to accept or reject. And hyper-Calvinists, to the extent, would say you can't reject God. They say that's impossible. But still, that, that God would make that choice for you. That's the teaching of, of hyper-Calvinism, which is not a biblical teaching. There's points of Calvinism where it, it would be, you know, if they were teaching something off of SpongeBob SquarePants, just 100%, you would just be like, uh, this is dumb. But they can't do that or you wouldn't believe it at all. I mean, and so it's got to have uh, levels of truth in it, maybe many levels of truth within it uh, in, in order to make it digestible and edible, so to speak. But, uh, yeah, there's a, that, that, that's a great, great question also. Um, so, penalty, death, uh, destination for sin. I, I, before I get too distracted here, I wanna, one thing I wanted to say just kind of along those lines is what, you know, why would, how could a loving God send someone to hell? Number one, why hell? Well, the devil and his angels. God was going to judge that crowd. It's hard for me to teach these things because the way my mind goes. It's not hard for me to teach them. It's just hard for me to teach them uh, sometimes within a time limit because I start wanting to go all these other routes. Why can't the angels be saved? Um, but that's not a part of this lesson, right, at all. Uh, but the quick answer, anybody know the quick answer to that? Already judged. And why are they already judged? Because the Bible says in Hebrews, yeah, Blake, they were with him, chose against him, so that's a good reason they already judged. They had a, they had a different sort of knowledge than mankind has ever had, I would say. But, but then, quite frankly, when it was time for... The angels would have need, needed to be redeemed in order to be saved. Mankind had to be redeemed in order to be saved. But the Bible says in Hebrews 2.14 that, that Jesus took not on him the form of angels... So in other words, he didn't say, I'm going to pay the penalty for the angels. He come and said, no, I'm going to take on the form of flesh because I'm going to pay, I'm going to become the kinsman. I'm going to pay the penalty for man uh, as, as, as one answer to that question. But again, man when men choose sin over Jesus, and people do it all the time, I thought during this too, with those, those sharp verses out of Revelation, whoremongers, adulterers, uh, murderers. And it's always amazing to me. And, and it's something that you want to get through. You're always, I'm always trying to, you know, with our children, it's something we'd always try to teach our children. But I try to teach it to our children because I have to teach it to myself. And it's just, it, does it ever seem like liars don't fit into that category? Sorcerers, murderers, adulterers, and all liars. It's like, whoa, Lord, I mean, come on. It's just a white one, you know, or, you know, whatever the case may be, the, the, the deceitfulness there, right? And 
But, but it, it should be a reminder to us Christians as well how serious sin is, really. But uh, uh, that's something else we could take away. But, but again, we, we choose sin or we choose Jesus. And in choosing sin or Jesus, we either choose life or we choose death. Um, uh, any any uh, other thoughts along these lines? Death, hell. Heavy subjects, right? It's something people don't like to talk about today. And sometimes it, it's because we have a hard time getting our minds around it. Preacher, you're preaching every week that God is love. But then there's this hell business. How do you, how do you, you know, and that's one of the reasons that some people, again, believe it or not, lean more toward hyper-Calvinism because they'll just lean toward the positive side of it um, and not the negative side. Say, oh, no, no, God, God's going God's to save who he will. And so it's, it's all good. It's fine. But that's not true. And then others question, you know, does, is this thing about hell real? Is hell a real place? Is the lake of fire a real place? And they absolutely are. And, and the thing is, when we choose sin over Jesus, even though God has offered the pardon, you know, it's, I've, I've used this example before. I believe it was, uh, well, it was Andrew Jackson, one of the early pardons that was ever issued by a president of the United States. And there was a, a man that, of all things, killed a postman. He killed a postman, uh, a mailman, and got the death penalty for it. And I don't know the circumstances around it, but for whatever reason, Andrew Jackson, as the President of the United States, says, I'm going to pardon this guy. Can you imagine that, Natalie? Being on death row, and then all of a sudden, the President of the United States says, hey, you're pardoned. I'm not going to hold this against you anymore. You're free to go. Wonderful story. Except for that man says, no, thank you. I killed the man. I will not receive that pardon. Now, can you imagine that man with his dying words saying, Curse you, Andrew Jackson! That would be so ridiculous. That's what people do, though. Hey, here's the pardon, but, but here's the thing. Repentance, okay? Repentance is where it comes in because when I, when I say you choose sin or you choose Jesus, there, we, we have repentance in that conversation as well. Now, what's repentance? What's, what, how would you describe repentance? And again, it's pretty broad. So, uh, but how would you describe repentance this morning? I'll tell you. A 180. Uh, very good. Because uh, some people have more of a 360 with their repentance, and that's not true repentance. <laughs> Amen. Uh, in other words, just go all the way back and you keep on going the same way. That's, that, that's a lot of times what indulgences are, and that's a lot of times what religious confession is. Yep, I'm going to do a 360 here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn around, and then I'm just going to keep going the way I've been going. Uh, but that's right, a 180. Any other examples of, of repentance, Don? There you go. And I, and I like that, from unbelief to belief, which is, do, do I really believe that, that, that Jesus will save me, for instance? Um, all right. Uh, Chad? Yeah, yeah, turning from, you know, hey, well, I've got my religion, I've got my background, I've got whatever it is that I'm counting on to saying, you know what, that can't do it. It's Jesus. Gerald? Okay. And, and, and that's actually, I don't want to say where it starts, that's where our part starts. God's part starts with the hearing of the word. Well, let me back up a little bit there because we're going to go broad again. God, God's part starts by putting a conscience in us. God's part starts by giving a creation that, that, that speaks to him. Because that, that's why everybody in the world has the opportunity to seek further truth, to seek more light. Because God gives the great lights of creation and conscience. 
Creation and conscience cannot lead a person to Christ. But it can make them aware of their need. But then it comes to the, the soul. All right? So a change of mind. So we hear the Word of God. The Spirit of God works. And now we've got a thing. We've got a thought. I can remember it myself. I can remember basically a moment on the night I got saved. I really remember a moment of pause. Now, you may not remember this. Maybe this didn't even happen to you, okay? I'm just talking about experience. But I'm just telling you, I can remember a moment of pause, Gerald, before I accepted Christ, before I believed. I was having a... Because you're thinking here. God's appealing to your mind. When, when, when Jesus said, go forth and preach the gospel. Preaching the gospel is to make an appeal to people. It's to make an appeal to people's minds and, and hearts. Right? And so they have to hear it. They have to think about it. But I remember thinking to myself, I remember a moment of pause that there was something about me. I didn't understand everything about what I was turning my back on. But I did know that uh, the partying that I had planned for the coming weekend wasn't going to happen. There was something about me that I understood that in that moment. It's like, wait a second, though. If I choose this way, I can't go that way. I can remember thinking that to myself. You say, well, I don't remember thinking that. I don't care. Okay, it don't matter. Uh, I'm just telling you that I did. I just happened to remember that. You don't base something on other people's experiences, okay? But I just remember thinking that. And I remember thinking to myself, you know what? No, give me Jesus. You know, I, 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 won't, I, I believe Jesus. And so that's why repentance is a change of mind. And that's one reason why repentance is not a work. There's people that get all bent out of shape because there's some people that preach repentance as if it were a work. And, and there's people, again, that bring penance into the Christian life. Um, and it's just not a biblical thing. And, and it goes back to the idea that God's always got this thing against us and we're always trying to, uh, you know, level the, the balances out or something. Repentance. Okay, here it is. Is there anyone here this morning that thought about not coming to church today? Coming to Connection Group specifically. Bud, Jennifer, my wife, uh, Trey you, uh, Kurt... Uh, we, we, yeah, we got them all over the place. Uh, Mark, Lucas, uh, that Lucas had a whole lot of choice, but, uh, but I'm glad you came anyway. Um, all right, and, and then, then probably about a dozen other people that didn't raise their hands, okay? Why are you here? Now, I'm not asking you about your motive, but I'm asking you, why are you here? Why are you here if you were thinking about not coming here? You were thinking one thing. You, apparently, you changed your mind. Now, what is the evidence that you changed your mind? You're here. Now, what about somebody else that's sitting at home this morning that said, you know, I was really thinking about not coming, but I changed my mind about it. Well, you're not here. You, you said you changed your mind, but you're still at home. And God bless you if you're watching. I'm glad you are. But, but the point just simply is you didn't repent. You continued the, thing, the same thought. So repentance is a change of mind. And the point that I'm just simply trying to make, this is the whole idea with James, really. Faith without works is dead, being alone. The idea is, if I really, if I have changed my mind, that means there's going to be actions to follow. Don said, sin or, or, or belief or dis, unbelief or belief. I believe is what Don said. But, but just think, going back to that night that I got saved, what if I said, you know what? Yep, I'm going to repent right now. But then I ended up choosing to go the way I'd kept on going. Did I really change my mind? I may have said I changed my mind. I may have thought about changing my mind, but I didn't change my mind. And 
that's, that's the point that I'm trying to make with repentance is it's a change of mind that results in a change. Uh, if, you, if, if you change your mind about eating something today, that probably means you're not going to eat it. You know what my struggle has been? I don't know if, I, don't, I ain't going to ask for prayer on this, I don't guess. Um, but every day for the last couple of months, I have made up my mind that I am not going to eat two bowls of cereal at night. I'm serious. Almost every day I have made that decision. But here's the problem about it. Out of probably 40 days, proud of you, Danny, but for me, out of the last 40 days, there's probably been about 36 of those days that I've, I didn't really repent. Because if you stop by about 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, you'll see me munching on a big old bowl of cereal. And I leave the box out because I'm going back and getting another bowl after that one. All right? What's the point? Oh, well, I've made up my mind. I, I, I've, I've had a change of mind. I, I'm, I'm not doing it today. I didn't repent, okay? So, anyway, that's, I think that's a good picture of repentance. Um, hey, we've got to end on this, or the lack of repentance, maybe. The changing of a mind. You change your mind, and actions follow. And listen, I understand that we're talking about God and sin and death. We're talking about very weighty matters here. So I understand there's, a, there's, a, there's greater depth to it, and there's more layers to it. I get all that. But at the same time, I think that's a good way to think about repentance. And so i got to get this last blank in there because we're out of time. And where Jesus paid, that's the last blank. If you didn't figure it out already, Jesus paid it all. Praise the Lord. Uh, that's for everyone. Praise God. It's not just for a chosen few. Jesus paid it all for everyone. Just as universal as sin is, is how universal the cure is. Jesus paid it all. When he said, it is finished. Um, Galatians 3.13. Many people say about Galatians 3.13, the Bible says, uh, oh no, it's not that one. It's, uh, oh, do, 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 do. it means the curse of the law. Yeah, it is finished is where I'm going to. Yeah, yeah, I got that. Thank you, though. Uh, you know, but, but the idea of it is finished being that uh, I was looking for the thing. There's a verse that says, talks about how that there was a, uh, that, it, that he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances against us. And there's, uh, there's theologians that say that, or historians that say that back in these days of the Bible, that when somebody owed a debt, that they would actually nail a debt, a handwriting of ordinances against them. But if that debt was paid, they could write on there, it is finished. Tetelestai, paid in full. And the idea being that that's what God wants to nail to every one of our hearts and every one of our lives. It is finished. It's been paid in full. There is no more debt. He doesn't forgive because we say, well, Lord, I just, you ought to forgive me. No, he forgives on the basis that we put our faith and trust in what he accomplished and what he paid for us, okay? So, uh, I guess better dismiss on that. Any other questions, follow-up questions about that? Well, let me know. Uh, comments and we can get to them next week but we've got to dismiss now because it's about 10 till happy mother's day uh there's a deal set up out here i hope other every mother gets their name on written down and put into the can out there if you haven't done that please do that uh maybe we could have someone 